Lysine sent Tavor rushing across the seas to clasp Coltane's hand, and closing her fingers, she held crow-picked bones. Hello, and welcome to the Legendarium Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode four of the Deadhouse Gate series. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, go back and listen, and then come back. I'm Huron Fan, and I'm joined today by Befuddle Panda. Hi, everyone. And Ashiman. Hi, guys. Today, Yasta won't be joining us, but he'll be here next time. As a reminder, this is Befuddle Panda's first time reading Deadhouse Gates. Ashiman and myself are Malazan veterans. Today, we are covering Deadhouse Gates chapters 20 through the epilogue. If you haven't read these chapters, please stop listening here, as everything in these chapters is fair game for discussion, so spoilers galore. If you haven't read the chapters and wish to continue listening, note there is content warning for violence. As we go chapter by chapter, we'll be discussing the following. What characters and scenes stood out to you? Any favorite lines from the chapter? Or any questions or speculations in the chapter to bring up with the group? I will be reading the summaries today, but they were written by Yasta. Chapter 20. Arriving in Tremolor, Fiddler and group uh, proceed into the Azath house, leaving Moby behind. Coltane and the majority and the majority of the soldiers split from the chain of dogs to buy time for the refugees to flee to Aran. Duiker buys escort from a local tribe to Aran Way, and they escort the chain of dogs to the gates of Aran. Apt and her son Panic have a chat with Cotillion in the Shadow Realm. Panic decides to go with his mother to protect Kalam. Kalam reaches Malaz City, and Sulk tells him he is Pearl, stabbing him and throwing him overboard. Apt confronts Pearl, who summons a demon and runs away while they fight. Manala rides a horse off her ship into the shark-infested waters to help Kalam. Uh, this is quite the chapter, right? Yes. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it marks uh, pretty much the beginning of the end for the Chain of Dogs. We, we see the last of the soldiers um, up close. And I do think that this part is mixed with, uh, like from here on out, the, the heavy stuff with the chain of dogs gets mixed very nicely with Kalam stuff because he's mostly just going around being a cool assassin guy, um, <laughs> which is kind of needed after the heart-wrenching tragedy of what happens to Coltane and the Seventh and the Wiccans. Mm-hmm. I uh, read the book every morning uh, on the way to Tokyo. And uh, throughout this whole chapter, I was just bawling every time... Uh, <laughs> It was embarrassing. It was bad. <laughs> Do people ask you? I mean, I don't know if they would because we might no. be too private. No, but... Nobody says anything. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure I get some looks though. Like, I, what I, is this? What is this guy doing crying on the train? Classic American. <laughs> uh, so, what scenes stood out to you or characters, Ash? Well, it's. The, the scenes that stick in my mind the most from here on out basically are going to be Dwicker stuff. Uh, especially here, I like the part where he buys escort. And yeah, you can see the tribe's respect for the refugees and the Malazans in general. And they, uh, they, they really risk themselves because if they had been caught up to, all those tribes people would have been slaughtered uh, by Korolodon. So, uh, you know, just... A reminder that humans aren't universally terrible, which is, I think, very much needed considering what happens next. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, the most touching part for me was when they were uh, talking with the the traders and they said, we took took up a collection 
and the traders look at the money and it's like, it's an incredible amount of money. And they said, this is no collection. Like this is like all of the soldiers, you know, uh, what do they call it? Wages. Wages. Thank you. And he said, no, in truth, it was a collection. And he said, well, it's too much. And Dewey's like, oh my God, how could they, how could they say it? And I, mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, I, it was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you the... crying on the train at that part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the, the tribes people, not only do they um, refuse to take too much money and instead demand, like, basically demand that they use their services. Yeah, they, they show, like, real concern for the soldiers of the 7th who might have been press getting into this, but no, it's not, it's not what happened. Also, just a side note, I'm curious as to whether or not Erickson intended uh, Selkyland to be, you know, kind of a mysterious figure or... I don't know, Panda. Did you immediately guess that it was Pearl? Nope. No. Okay. 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 <laughs> it was a surprise for me. That's good to know. <laughs> I was just like, oh, uh... this guy's Pearl. Yeah. Why is he hiding it? <laughs> I don't know. Panda, uh, anything that stood to you? Some of the same things that you guys have talked about, and then also Moby being the one to open the door <laughs> to Tremolor. That was such a nice touch. I could just. Uh, picture the scene in my mind where it's like chaos happening everybody's like slamming trying to get into the door and then moby just think <laughs> and touches the knob <laughs> tiny monkey <laughs> i know um fiddler getting a delivery from the guild a courtesy of quick ben <laughs> he's just like did you guys jostle the crate <laughs> <laughs> Um, didn't even need to ask right i know because they're there right because if they did then there would be no explosives delivered to him um there would be a delivery (laughs) exactly and then cotillion explaining to panic that he wasn't punished because of not doing what he was told like he wasn't being punished and he called himself uncle cotillion and I was like, oh. And he thinks of himself as a father to Absalar. Oh. And then, yeah. and then P- Panic tells him that um, uh, he needs to forgive her. And he says, no, it's, it's the other way around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that that was a very touching moment. Um, and then the nameless Marines farewell to Dweaker. It was mm-hmm. a sad moment, but it was also humorous. Yeah, the, so the Nameless Marine is like, oh, I have something to give you. Or like, I have something for you, Dweaker. And then Lowell's just like, what? Here? <laughs> 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 um, so it's just like that balance of somber and, yeah, levity. So those are my favorite. Now that it's over... Do you think that the romance between them was well done? I don't hate it. It's not as sudden as the whole Tattersail Paran thing. I kind of just, I just accepted it because um, the battle, like when you're in the throes of so much like adrenaline and action and all of that, like you don't know if you're going to live the next day, right? Like those kinds of things totally happen. So yeah, it's more believable to me. What about, since since we're talking about romance anyways, uh, Kalama and Manala? That one is so much better. Yeah? Like, more okay. believable. The tension between the two of them was, I think it's, it was good. 
she really appreciated their uh develop this this read through and her nice. the little conversations are like cute yeah. too especially after you getting to know Manala's past and how abusive her husband was and mm-hmm. that's why she's so hardened and was like yes I'm off to the next man because the other one was a piece of <laughs> trash <laughs> I really liked her a lot I really like her a lot well I have basically all of the the scenes that you guys talked about I have quotes from them <laughs> <laughs> okay oh and I have a question so do you know who the uh do you remember at in earlier in the book when uh Duiker and Sormo and Bolt went inside the Talon Warren and they were saved by a demon yes do you know who that demon is now is it apt no it's not apt it's Moby mm-hmm. <laughs> whoa okay wait so it's it's never is it ever explicitly said? It's not that explicitly he's a demon. Said. Oh, that he's a demon, yeah. No, that he was the one that saved them. It's not explicitly said, but I'm I'm like ninety percent sure. What, what what do you think, okay. Ash? Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be Moby. Like no no other demon of importance shows up. So like it could be a random one off character, I, I suppose. But I think it makes a lot more sense if it was Moby. So does Moby like change shape? Or he's he's still just he's a, a, he's a soul taken yeah he's a demon soul taken mm-hmm. oh although why he chose a Bokarala to be his soul taken form is anyone's guess can I you mean, cho- can you choose I I have no clue <laughs> I I have no idea if when they become soul taken they get to choose or it's just kind of like random or something like obviously Rake is a dragon right and. Mm-hmm. You, you learn a little bit more about that and that's a soul taken and i i s- suppose he probably chose that form but all the other like normal soul taken i'm not sure about i think i think rake definitely chose his form though yeah he he becomes soul taken in a way that but, i don't think is very common but isn't rake like um uh, that far i want to call it Svalbard, but that's not the name of the warren oh oh curled glane no, the the one that starts with an S. That's the Warren oh. of the Dragons. Starvold Star Yes, yeah. that one. All these easy words, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I thought it was because of his affinity or whatever to that Warren that he is of dragon shape. Uh, yeah, you're you're not wrong. You'll learn more about it later. Okay. Okay. Oh, by the way, did you uh, did you get who the captain was? Oh, the captain in the of the of the Ragstopper. Oh wait, of the Ragstopper. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't get it on my first time either. I didn't um, either. Um, would you like to know? It's not. It's not really a spoiler because they say most of his name. <laughs> okay, maybe I did. Okay, yes, just tell me. It's Cartharon Crest, one of the old guard of the Empire. He was talked about in the beginning of the book. Oh, was it when they're like, oh, the guy who can swim and they're yeah. like, How? <laughs> he did not drown. Yeah, he could swim drunk in heavy armor or something like that. Uh, <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, yeah I did not catch that. First mates is like, hey, Carthron. He's like, shut up. I was supposed to drown here not too long ago. We're in the last city. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Yep. Nope. Did not catch that. Yeah, a lot of the old guard uh, supposedly, quote, drowned 
<laughs> yeah, supposedly I think it's a bit died. Of a, yeah, running joke. So we we, we kind of just skipped to questions. Do you want to read your quotes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's okay. This one's about Moby, and Crocus. You know, he has to say goodbye to Moby. He says, "How does one say goodbye to a Bocarola? Uh with a boot in the backside? How else?" Pust offered. <laughs> yes. Truth. And uh, do you guys have any quotes or? I do. Okay, how about you share one instead of I just go all at once? Okay. Um, well, so it's also about Moby, but this is after the group has like said their farewells to Moby, and <clears throat> it goes the massive closed great helm tilted with a soft creak, and a ragged voice came from it. I am pleased my solitude is at an end, little one. Tremolor welcomes you with all its heart even if you have made a mess on the hallway floor. And I like this one because it is very serious in that, like, one, who the heck is this voice, right? Like, is this somebody we've encountered before? Is this somebody new? Is it the guardian that's now dead on the floor, but somehow, like, their voice, they're not actually dead? Um, And... Like, they just said farewell to Moby. So you're, like, you know, emotional a little bit, especially if you're attached to Moby. Um, And then there's just that scene where Moby just crapped on the floor because they're like, (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's funny. He's in deep as a monkey. That's probably why he chose a monkey form so he could get away with stuff like that, if he did choose the form. (laughs) If he did, yeah. I actually, I kind of have a quote. Um, this is just in response to uh, your, Panda, your gripe about them not taking the Azath house in Darugistan. Okay. Um, it partially explains it, at least. Kalam had begun to view the dead house option as more of a potential escape route if things went wrong than anything else, and even then as a last recourse. He'd never liked the Azath, had no faith in anything that appeared so benign. Friendly traps were always for, far deadlier than openly belligerent ones. That is fair. However, they freaking went all this way in search <laughs> of an Azaz house. And I I basically have resigned myself to be like, just get over that and just <laughs> go with the adventure that came along, you know, that spawned yeah. from them going to the Azaz house. But if I really think hard on it, I'm just like, I don't really buy the initial reason for <laughs> any of this to happen. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I think part of that is that in the end, they did just take up, you know, take the Azath Road. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't take the Azath Road, you know, it wouldn't be a discussion at all. But if like their plan was originally just to take the Azath from the beginning, then they really should have just taken the one in Darugistan. But if that was like truly the last uh, resort, yeah, last. Although resort, the then... one in the one in Darugistan wouldn't have actually accepted them. That's a good fair. point. Yeah. Well, do we know that for sure though? Like they didn't even try. Well, the only reason they were accepted to uh, Tremor lore was because of Moby. Moby. Yeah, and right. even that was just because that Azath just wanted a new guardian. Well, okay. And, uh, well, the, the one in Darugistan has a guardian. <laughs> yeah. That, that slot is full. <laughs> uh, okay. 
well, so here's the thing. The Guardian, uh, okay, never mind. You know what? We'll talk about it later when we get to the later <laughs> part when we actually find out that there is a Guardian because on the first time you're, you're reading this, you don't know that there is a Guardian mm. for each house. Yeah, I think this is, I think it's probably a fair thing to be bothered about though in the end. Maybe we'll learn about it someday in detail. Yeah, someday. If we ever get to ask Erickson a bunch of questions, then <laughs> this can I mean, be one of them. Like, so did you think this through the initial time when you were writing it? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, I, I'm just trying to not get too hung up about that qualm. Oh, uh, so I have another quote. You talked about the, uh, the trade guild coming. Yes. So when I like their, their words, when they left, he says, uh, now we must flee. Ah, uh, a road, a rude bluntness. I mean, depart, of course. We must depart. <laughs> yeah, if I was a high mage and I was near an Azath, I would also not feel very safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I, I, I thought they, they were just kind of in a, a different type of danger, but that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really touched by the exchange between Duiker and Lowell. And uh, I really grew attached to List and Lowell, but I grew attached to List through the uh, the book. And uh, List started hearing, you know, the, about the ancient war from the Jaghut ghost. And uh, List's last word for uh, Duiker, where I have found my war. Yeah. I like that. List, Lull, and Bolt are all excellent characters that we have to leave behind here. Made me sad. It's good storytelling in that they, I mean, Bolt a little less so, but like Lull and List, in the grand scheme of things, they're fairly minor characters, but Mm -hmm. they're very good supporting characters for our main characters. And that attachment, at least for me as the reader, I that attachment wasn't formed immediately. It was definitely built over time. But then once you get to the end, it's like, no, I'm I'm invested <laughs> in these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you you also spoke about the the unnamed female soldier. Yes. And their their last their parting word or not parting words, but towards the end, he says. The historian glanced at his nameless marine. You should seek out a cutter, he said. I can still hold a shield. No doubt, but th- it's the risk of infection. Her eyes widened and Duiker f- was felled mute, a rush of sorrow flooding. He broke the gaze. You're a fool, old man. Mm. Like, how she could knew. you say something so stupid? <laughs> she knew. I mean, yeah. There was no, there was no after. That's mm-hmm. why she's giving you the thing. Mm. The pick, the cloth. And he never actually end, ends up learning her name in the end. Oh. Never looks at it. Um, okay, I have a longer one, and it is somber. It's it's a serious one. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, bear with me here. Dweaker listened to the cries that cut through the darkness, wrenching at his heart. Joy wrought with dark, blistering anguish, wordless screams, uncontrolled wailing. A stranger would not have understood the release that the historian heard, the sounds that his own soul answered with burning pain, making him blink at the stars that blurred and swam overhead. The release born of salvation was nevertheless tortured, and Tweaker well knew a host of inescapable truths. 
Somewhere out there in the darkness stood a wall of human flesh, clothed in shattered armor, which still defied Corbelodom, which had purchased and was still purchasing this dread salvation. There was no escape from that knowledge. Uh, that's a pretty long passage, and I shortened it a bit here and there. But it was, it was a punch in the gut reading that, um, especially in the moment where... Yeah, like, Coltane didn't have that many men left. And the fact that so many of the soldiers refused Coltane's offer for them to walk away. <laughs> that was, uh, it got me. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't full-on cried reading this book. But now that I'm done with it and thinking back, I, I'm close (laughs) (laughs) um so the the price of the freedom i mean it's not just the soldiers that died at the end it's also like the refugees along the way and and all the soldiers and the horses and the dogs um to get them this far uh this part it's just so much harder to read after knowing what happens to Coltane and the rest of the soldiers. And the reread, I don't know if you guys feel this way. Do you find rereading this so much harder because of the nobles and the audacity that they have to say things like, oh, those of us retaining a measure of wealth have succeeded in purchasing from, you know, we got the fresh horses to our carriages. Like, we're going to march ahead. I I don't know like I mean I do know when I had when I reread that section to prepare for the episode I just ah, I was even more angry um it felt really good though when Duvicar hit him with his sword though right yes but <laughs> I and you know this is fiction so oh. I'm, I'm better I, I can let me put it this way because this is fiction, I feel okay saying this in real life. You know, it's much more complicated. I really wish Dweaker just killed him when he had the chance. And, you know, I, I understand that's not always the case. And Erickson is probably trying to show, like, you can't control everything. There are consequences, cause and effect. So I don't think he's right. trying to say, like, you know, go kill bad people. Or I think... He- I think if he had killed Nethpara and Pollock Alar, I think his name is, uh, then Coltane and the Seventh might have survived because it's Nethpara and the other noble who convince yes. Hormqual that, yeah, that you can take Corbolo Dom's forces. And Tumlet died too. And Tumlet died. <laughs> Poor Tumlet. Which I just suspect that other nobles actually killed him and it wasn't necessarily that Tomlet fell ill and blah blah blah. I think they made an accident happen. I agree. Um, yeah. So it mm, okay. If you guys think this is too much of a spoiler, you feel free to cut it. This thing here that we just talked about, it reminds me of a scene in Saving Private Ryan. Spoilers for Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> um i don't know if you guys it may be too long since you've seen it i don't know you don't know Uh, what i'm talking i'm I'm curious what the scene is now 
Yeah, I've seen it, but I don't remember what you're talking about. Okay, so at the I very think I know. at the very end of the movie, there was a soldier who like he had the chance to kill the mm. Germans, the Nazi soldiers, but he froze and he didn't and then he caused like uh, the rest of his yeah. Yeah. That that scene is always so hard for me to watch. And yeah, it it definitely I, I never made the connection before, but it definitely reminds me of this in some in some fashion. Yeah. The I guess that the, the emotion it elicits is mm-hmm. very similar. Well if you want to talk about later on in the book, I mean uh Corporal Dom basically does the same thing, right? But he actually goes through with it. I mean, he's incredibly cruel, and what he did was terrible. But what his intentions were were to uh, cripple uh, uh, Tavor's army, so she couldn't take down the rebellion, right? So he killed all the entire army. Yeah. And looking at what happened to the Seventh Army, I mean, can we say that that was the wrong choice? It was the morally wrong choice, but. I, I think it was strategically the right choice, but Wait. he didn't have to do it in the way he did. I'm confused. Oh, so, you uh, mean you mean from Do- Corbelo Dom's point of view? Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay. There was two more things that I had for this section or this chapter. Um, <clears throat> do you want more sad stuff or do you want to skip the sad stuff? <laughs> Bring on the sad stuff. <laughs> Okay, so more sad stuff. The imagery of the refugees who were so close to the walls of Arin, but gave up. Like they could Just sat see the down. walls. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they simply stopped, sat down on the road to await the inevitable. And Dweaker screamed at them, threatened them, but it was no use. Mm-hmm. That's actually like one of my fears in life is that well because like you don't always know how close you are to achieving something and my fear is like I will give up because I'm like I can't go on but the attain attaining the goal is actually pretty close um I don't know if that makes any sense but no I I, and makes perfect sense yeah yeah that 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 is one thing and another to me is that these guys could see their goal and they just had nothing left yeah like humans can push themselves to extraordinary limits but everyone still has a limit and everyone reaches a point where you just have nothing left to give i also wonder if for some people like knowing that they made it so that they could see the end was enough i could see it but because this was always an impossible journey and no one really expected to make it right and, and uh, it's... they did anyway especially Dewicker. <laughs> yeah especially it's almost like there's some sort of freedom achieved by like you did the impossible and that's enough personally for me that would not work <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I have uh, uh, another couple of quotes. <laughs> okay. I have one last one that's more funny. Okay. So we, we can end with that. Uh, so you, you talked about uh, the, the conversation between Panic and uh, Cotillion. Mm-hmm. And Apt. So Cotillion says, I'm sure he does. Cotillion muttered, like me, he is haunted by helplessness. They were talking about Kalam. Very well, until we meet again, 
He shifted his attention one last time, staring long to the app's eye. When I ascended, lady, it was to escape, escape the nightmares of feeling. He grimaced. Imagine my surprise that I now thank you for such chains. I actually have a question that goes off of that, but we can uh, ask that later. No, no. Bring it now. No? Okay. Hmm. So the mentioning of chains, because last episode, Ash was like, pay attention <laughs> to when chains are mentioned. I I do wonder if that is what... Okay, I don't have well-articulated thoughts here, but something along the lines of, like, the chain of dogs, the chain for Cotillion. It's like attachment. I mean, that's what chains do, right? The chains attach things together. But, like, is it that... Did Cotillion have deeper feelings for the refugees and that was the chain for him? Or was it that duty was his chain like what do you think coltane's chain was i think coltane had a very strong sense of honor and really believed in the malazan empire and also believed in protecting innocence i think those were his main three drives okay and uh those things are all great and noble things right well maybe (laughs) but he was also you know that was also his downfall. Right. And I don't know. Does this mean that is panic going to be the downfall of Cotillion? If we are drawing parallels here, I have no idea, but I'm just throwing that out. Or maybe Absalar, because he feels chained to Absalar too. That's true. Absalar. Um, yeah, I, I really like the development of Cotillion. Uh, in contrast to Kellen or shadow throne right shadow throne just kind of <laughs> comes off as this crazy guy but cotillion actually seems somewhat human and you learn here that he actually partially became a god so that he could escape the the torment of humanity right mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like feelings. all these feelings <laughs> but then he regrets um, it i somewhat disagree i think i think shadow throne like is also a human he just hides it very very well and we see the crack in his facade at the end of the book, which we can talk about later if you want. But he did save the thirteen hundred children. He did save the thirteen hundred. Yeah, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> um, no other god did it. One last one. It's very short. Uh, so there. This is at the beginning of the chapter, and they said they were talking about how they were losing. Uh, they hadn't lost any refugees in thirty hours, and uh, Dewey says five thousand soldiers spitting in the face of every god. <laughs> how cool is that yes okay that's all for my for this chapter uh my last one is cotillion saving good saying goodbye to panic <laughs> uh it goes a half a dozen strides he paused glancing back give kalam my regards a moment later shadows engulfed him panic continues staring does he imagine, he asked his mother, that he now walks unseen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that reminds me. Um, what does panic and apt see? It's like the way they described it is really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, Cotillion walking through uh, realms and shadows. I don't know. Any thoughts? Oh, Cotillion was saying something along the lines of, Oh, that's why the hounds never like run in a straight line or something. Mm. Because the hounds can see it too. 
and I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure what it is, but I I think it's more that there are shapes in the shadows. I I'm guessing Shadow Throne may be able to see it too because of Shadow Throne's dog hounds can see them. Shadow Throne probably can, and that that's a differentiator between Cotillion and Shadow Throne. But I I don't exactly know what it is that they see. Uh-huh. Yeah, Shadow is a is a very difficult realm. <laughs> and Kelenvad and Cotillion, well, Shadowthorn and Cotillion are very, very new to it. Also, uh, hearing your last quote reminded me of uh, one from Wheel of Time, actually, <laughs> which I, I love so much. And I'm, I'm just going to read it because it's awesome. Till shade is gone, till water is gone, into the shadow with teeth bared, screaming defiance with the last breath, to spit into Sightblinder's eye on the last day. I just really like that one. And uh, if you haven't read Wheel of Time, you know, nope. consider it. I have not. It's going to take at least two years before I start. (laughs) That's fair. All right, so chapter 21? Chapter 21. All right. Hebork and Shaikh discuss whether and when Drijna selected Felicin, as well as the upcoming confrontation with Tavor. Hyphus Pormkwal, the coward, will not act to save the Wiccans in the seventh from Corbelo Dom's slaughter, which takes place in full view of the walls of Arryn. Coltane is crucified to prevent him uh, from the release of death and the potential of resurrection. An old soldier named Squint shoots Coltane, releasing his soul to the crows. So, Squint, man. I've read this series so many times, and I I, I still think about Squint sometimes. The poor guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's not he's not young. You know? No, he's I, old, yeah. Yeah, when I heard the name Squint, I just thought oh it was some like young fresh-faced soldier who happens to be really good at archery but no he's just it's experience mm-hmm. this is i think the most sadistic thing corolla dom does um in in this book at least to crucify coltane uh, coltane and try and prevent his soul from being taken by the crows he wanted to kill his soul this was not Something he did out of military necessity, he did it out of pure cruelty. Okay, so the reason why he crucified Coltane was so that one, it would be a slow death, but also the crows would come and then he would just be able to take out the crows before they could get to him. Okay, yes. It's very Jesus Christ imagery, particularly Mm. where at the end of the chapter, Dweaker notes that Porm Qual thrice denied. Yep. Mm, yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Porm Qual is this book's Judas. Yes, for sure. Sort of. Malakrel Mal- is also Krell's... Judas. A bit. No, Malakrel is <laughs> the devil speaking in Judas's ear. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I... Malakrel was a, a traitor as well. That freaking piece of poop. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Go ahead. I'm just saying there are a lot of uh, strong emotions surrounding Malakrill on the internet. Yes, oh. he is perhaps more hated than a certain Stormlight character. <laughs> he deserves it more, I think. Yep. I I don't know. Given given the choice between Pormqual and Malik, I get I get Malik. Like I get his motivations. Pormqual is to me a bit more uh, hateful because he's so weak. Mm. Uh, I yeah. understand I completely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Porn call's terrible. And 
so I talked about Squint earlier, but Squint is just one of the thousands of soldiers in Arryn who are incensed about Pormquall's uh, actions or inaction, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all the soldiers are so angry. Blistig and uh, Keneb are just like, we can't convince him. We can't convince him. And Malakrill is just whispering in his ear. You know, oh man, mm-hmm. Pormquall's the worst. Again, this this makes Lazine's actions at the beginning seem more sympathetic to me. Because this is exactly the thing she was trying to prevent when she called the nobility. Mm-hmm. And presumably she would have corrected it if she had been given a bit more time. But uh, yeah, yeah, I know like Pormqual, there are unfortunately plenty of people like him out there. So yes, he makes <laughs> me feel things and they're not good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, from our previous chapter? Coltane could deliver this train to a place three miles up the coast from Arryn, and Pormkol would not set forth to deliver us. Yep. Mm-hmm. They they knew it. They knew it. So that was bold. I mean, I do wonder how the nobles like if if this had played out differently, where because the nobles were like, oh, Pormkol will come and like send reinforcements, right? If the nobles hadn't been behind Arryn's wall when um the remaining of Coltane's soldiers arrived, it would have been very different, mm. I think. I don't think Pormqual uh, would have saved even the nobles. Uh, okay, let me rephrase. The What I meant by it would be very different is like the s- sense of betrayal would have been mm. different because we would have seen the nobles' sense of betrayal. It's true. Here we get the first hints of why Coltane was so insistent that Duiker be there and see everything because he wants the events told as they happened, whereas there are plenty of bad actors who will be perfectly willing to make up a story, even though the guy saved their life. Yep. And we see that happening with Nethpara and Bulikalar. They just lie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, like this is just a thing that humans, humans do. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I love when you do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I can't help it. It's emotions are happening. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is a very emotional book. I understand. Yeah, I had to go read some paranormal f- romance after reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> Werewolves or vampires? I had both. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the one that you're thinking of. I don't know what uh, you're thinking of, but it's not the one. Uh, I wasn't mm. thinking of that one, actually. <laughs> Good. Uh, the death of Corporal List. Mm. That uh, All I have in my notes is sob. That's it. Yeah, he was the one to always die in the exercises, and yet he was the yeah. last one to go down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, it's kind of a satisfying ending for him like i know that not all the characters are safe right they're some they're gonna die like they're ones that you're attached to they're gonna die uh, for corporal list i think his ending was pretty satisfying in that we saw his progression from <laughs> the one that's always dying in the exercises to be somebody who was was a support for Dweaker. And he gained his legs. He gained his rightful place. In, in he the... found his war. Yeah, he found his war. Exactly. I think he was the heart of the seventh. 
in this book. Hmm. He was the everyday soldier that most of them were. I, I think Lull was the middle command person, but List was hmm. the everyday soldier. I see. Are you sure it wasn't Roach? <laughs> <laughs> it was not Roach. <laughs> Although Bent and Bolt go down like bamps in this, and <sighs> that was that was good because the rest of the seventh they just have to be cut down because they don't have weapons and they're too tired to even fight anymore and they've given their all. But Bolt, he gets down, like, he, uh, even even as they're stabbing him with lances, he still manages to wound a guy. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and Bent, he gets skewered on a lance, but he kills the one who kills him. Or doesn't kill the one who kills him. Kills the one who almost kills him because he mm-hmm. does not die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that time, we thought he was dead. Mm, mm-hmm. Definitely. And dogs dying are the worst. You know, I, I understand Coltane dies. I understand Lol, and I understand. I really, 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 really wish that Bolt didn't die. See, I mm. told you he was gonna die at the beginning, <laughs> and it it didn't happen exactly how I had thought. But Malik was the one. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, to all our listeners who don't know, Esselmont's new book is called The Gistol. So take that how you wish. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to quotes? Yeah, sure. You want to go first? Sure. I only have one. It's uh, from Haboric to Felicin. And he says to her, but it occurs to me that even as mortals are but pieces on a game board, so too are the gods. Mm-hmm. And that kind of begs the question, uh, is there somebody that's moving the pieces like above the gods? Or no, this is just the game board and even the gods are just a player nobody actually really knows and nobody is really calling all the shots mm, that's I, good question, isn't it? <laughs> I also had that quote but uh I, I have her response she says elemental forces in opposition and then she later explains that that's how kellen bed uh justified the balance of destruction with creation with the expansion of the empire mm. i don't know is it i it's mean I, I think Erickson's just laying it out there as something <laughs> for people to poke at. Or poking. Poke, poke. I, I, I have just one. This one broke me. The historian squeezed his eyes shut. It had become a day to hold in his arms broken figures. But who will hold me? <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, are those all the quotes? Do you need a moment? No, it's fine. <laughs> okay yeah is that all do we have any questions i don't have questions for this one i don't either it was a pretty short one i think Mm -hmm. all right so chapter 22 Mm -hmm. a bleeding kalam enters milan city and there is a big assassin fight kalam is awesome he and topper threaten each other fiddler and company discover the fast travel world map in the azath house pust falls down a map hole then mapo and akarium do there are dragons. <laughs> they are awesome and they don't care about you. The Trigal Tregel deliver uh, ammunition to Fiddler. Fiddler and Koga go down the hole to travel map and they believe we'll take them to Deadhouse and Malaz City. Back at Aran, the Malazan uh, army enters an obvious trap. They surrender and 10,000 soldiers are crucified in the Aran way. Oh. Well, uh, was this the chapter with the uh, Trigal Tregel saying I'm going to flee? No. No, I think it was just in the wrong spot. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Because because they're already in the quote fast travel map. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. 
So after the Ragstopper, this was a breath of fresh air for me because Kalam is so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the duality of his nature going between almost impossibly subtle and sneaky to when, when, whenever he needs to, just using his brute strength and forcing his way through. I love Kalam's design as a character in that way. Yeah, the, the thing that I called out for this chapter was claw training is pretty cool. <laughs> Kalam can stop bleeding and manipulate blood vessels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, everybody knows how much of a Bamf he is, but they still underestimate it, or at least the claw do. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I have a question, though. How did he avoid the sharks? Got lucky, I think. <laughs> I mean, like with Manala, right? At least it, there it, was. Yeah. Some some of it might be like that the same thing that protected Manala, Manala protected him. Okay. That like the sharks weren't there at the time, and you know there was high mage. You know, there was a ship's mage protecting someone nearby, keeping sharks away. So. Yeah. I love that. Be, like, yeah, we need to protect her. Because <laughs> <laughs> she is pretty brave. Yes. <laughs> so, for some of Ice's books, there are people in this world who are even more skilled at controlling their bodies than Kalamis. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, like, we, at least at this point, for a first-time reader, I've, I don't feel like I really know much about the claw. All I know is like they're very skilled. They're kind of like um, selected when they were young and put through training almost like, I don't know, is it kind of like the Witcher training? I have no idea. But yeah, they kind of, to me, it's almost like magical powers, but I don't think it's quite magic. I'm not 100% sure. Some of them are magic and we we see that. Um, But but Kalam and some others are just, you know, they're just skilled and they use breathing techniques and stuff like that. Okay. I kind of think of them as the CIA. There are a lot of really effective operatives there, but the organization itself is really bloated. Well, yeah, uh, I think Topper and Lassine don't mind him killing so many because it's kind of like, well, they were weak. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. They they mm-hmm. are very ruthless. They're just like, yeah, it was also a calling exercise or like a weeding out exercise. Like, yeah, I don't think either Topper or Lazine thought that the claw was actually going to stop Clum. <laughs> okay. I want to point out at the beginning of this chapter, it starts off with a, a description of a local fauna and their behavior. And it kind of works as a metaphor for what's happening in the city. And Erickson does this a lot in future books. So keep an eye for it. Okay. Yep. Nice. Unless we get another awesome dog. Wait, no, we got the dog later. Chapter 23, I think. Yes, it's the next chapter. But yeah, the dog's cool. <laughs> so, do we have any quotes? Yes, I have a series of them, and there's a theme. Okay, go for it. So, these are all from Fiddler's point of view. They're, they're in the Azath house, um, and he thinks... There was an arrogance in assuming that every realm in existence bowed to human needs. Intruders, this place cares nothing for us, nor are there any laws demanding that accommodate us. Mind you, the same could be said for any world. And then it goes on to say their appearance, their departure. I was just talking about the dragons that they see. Their appearance, their departure, 
and in between, and most importantly, their indifference to the four mortals below was a sobering reminder that the world was far bigger than that defined by their own lives, their own desires and goals. Filler further goes on to think, the worlds live on beyond us, countless unraveling tales. We are all lone souls. It pays to know humility, lest the delusion of control of mastery overwhelms. And indeed, we, we seem a species prone to that delusion again and ever again. I had that one too, the last one. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I think what Erickson is saying here is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also saw this back in gardens where uh, I remember us talking about Anamander who is like, you know, he plans ahead and he very much wants to be in control. But at the same time, he acknowledges things are going to happen and not everything can be in your control, even when you're a super powerful ascended whatever being who can mm-hmm. turn into a dragon. And even the Talana Mass, a species hundreds of thousands of years of years old, are literally dust in the wind. Mm, yeah, that's true. But they're, uh, they're cool dust in the wind. They're <laughs> they are cool, cool dust in the wind. <laughs> Fiddler's awesome. That's that's all I gotta say. I, lo- I love his thoughts. I, I do, yeah. yeah. I mean, I appreciate Dweaker's point of view, but I think I appreciate Fiddler's a bit more. I mean, not just because, you know, Dweaker's more pessimistic, but Fiddler is, he's got a lot of depth. And he's mm-hmm. not just somebody who likes to blow things up. Mm-hmm. He is somebody that likes to blow things up, though. <laughs> he, he does like that, but he's not just that. You know, yes. he has a lot of depth. He's a good guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Fiddler exemplifies what is best about common humanity. Mm. Because he's not hes not a great leader like Coltane. He's not a super powerful mage like some elders. He's not a super cool assassin mm-hmm. like Kalam. He's okay, kind of just a mean. guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a normal guy that likes to play with explosives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't we all? And if I remember correctly, he's the one that makes up the rules for when they play with the deck of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and wins lots of money. And wins lots of money. I have a badass quote. Mm. It says, Kalam smiled. You wanted a quarry on the run. Sorry to disappoint you. He set out into the night, hunting claw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was <Yes>. awesome. <laughs> I want, I want to see this as a, a film or a show yeah. or whatever. But that like, sequence would be so cool. Yeah, just like him fighting in the city. I would, I would pay to like see that animated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think Iskar Jarak talks about uh, like funding those kind of anim- animations. Uh, animations. Oh. I did not know. I hope someday he gets enough funds. Someday, if anybody's listening who has the skills, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That would be nudge, so nudge. awesome. <laughs> I like. Uh, I really like Crocus in this chapter, uh, and I like the dragons. And they're just kind of, oh look, there's dragons, and they don't care about us. <laughs> Yasna put it pretty well. <laughs> but uh, I think they talk about how big the dragons are, and then Crocus says, "Crocus grunted. I've seen bigger." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then later on it says, uh, "Mapo and Akarium are not lost, not dead." Crocus said in obvious relief as they begin walking again. Nor is the high priest. Apsalar added, "Well, the Dara muttered, I suppose we have to take the good with the bad." 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I have something. Okay, it's about the Azaz house. Yeah. This is this is Mapo to Crocus. The only thing these tiles signify is that every house in every place is part of a pattern, a grand design. But even knowing that doesn't mean we can actually make sense of it. The Azaz mm -hmm. is beyond even the gods. We can end up getting lost in suppositions in a mental game that takes us nowhere. Me reading that, I'm like... Is this Erickson's way of telling the reader, just don't get too hung up on understanding the asset houses? <laughs> he does that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is not important. Just just go with it. <laughs> I do think that's a big part of it. But also, I think this is also him reminding us that we are very small and stupid and dumb and weak. <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? There's... I mean, there are a few versions of this, but the one I'm particularly thinking of is a Kelvin and Hobbes comic mm. <laughs> strip. Actual where, and comic. Yeah, where like Calvin's like, I'm insignificant. <laughs> no, I think he showed I'm significant into the void. Oh, right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Calvin Hobbes is excellent, though. Yes, agreed. It reminds me of the end of Near Automata. I. Any of our listeners, are, I highly recommend that game. It's a postmodern work with an excellent uh, humanitarian ending. Which game is this? Nier Automata. Oh, I haven't heard of this one. It's fantastic. Excellent. It is inspired many cosplays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has sexy anime girls, but it's also like really deep and thoughtful. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have both. Yeah. 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 Uh, do we have any questions? I... Don't really have a question, but I feel like we would be remiss to not discuss the mass crucifixion of these soldiers. Yeah. Like we can't we can't we can't just skip over that, right? That would be, I think, a crime. I agree. Um the thing that upsets me most about this is so there are ten thousand soldiers at the start. And I believe the seventh has ten thousand soldiers at the start of the book as well. And just look what a difference the commander makes. <laughs> 10,000 people die from nothing here. And yeah, that's, that's just so sad and tragic to me because it's all one man's fault. Also, Dwicker takes the time to save his mare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It, oh, it pissed me off so much when uh, they were they get there and Malak Rill convinces Pormquil that Dwicker is the actual traitor. Mm-hmm. <sighs> And this is this is partly on Dwicker because he lets Nethpara and Kalikalar get to Pormqual before he does. Yeah. And it seems to me that Pormqual is the kind of person that just repeats whatever was said last to him. He probably would have made the bad choice anyways because Malik Rel was there. But Dwicker, yeah, I can't I can't blame him because he was so traumatized after what happened, and nobody should be forced to do anything after an event like that. But at the same time, he kind of fails the soldiers here. Yeah. I think this is an instance where we see somebody who wasn't thinking like a politician. Like he wasn't thinking as a He wasn't considering the politics. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was very introspective, I think. And he kind of got too caught up in 
his internal like internal processing of what was happening which is totally fair right like the guy's gone through a ton yeah who can blame him but Mm -hmm. at the same time it's like if we look at coltane so if coltane and dweaker had switched places i like a lot of things would be different but in this instance if coltane and dweaker had switched places i think coltane would have taken he would have repressed like everything he was feeling he would be thinking 10 steps ahead um and very paranoid but dweaker wasn't like that yeah this is the danger of allowing yourself to feel compassion because there are those who don't feel that and they can and will take advantage of you if you let them. Well, it's not a zero-sum game. I think Coltane and other people who can set aside those things don't not feel compassion. I'm not saying that Coltane doesn't feel compassion at all, but Dwicker really lets himself feel and try to process what's going on. I don't think Coltane was letting himself do that because it would just be too much. Hmm. I think it's also just like the positions that they are in plus their personalities right coltane is somebody who was the right man for the job to to get these refugees to safety um whereas dweaker his job was to observe absorb and really like be our lens into what's happening um in a more relatable way because if if you were seeing things through coltane's eyes i think it would have been very dry <laughs> yeah one could say that uh Dweaker is very hot emotionally and <laughs> coltane is like like a cold metal mm, yes yes a cold metal mm. um okay so that's just for our listeners <laughs> i want to sing this on a reread <laughs> okay i see It'll You'll get sense. it, don't worry. Someday. <laughs> the whole time I was reading this part where, like, Pormqual or whoever was forcing Dweaker to go out with the 10,000 soldiers, I was like, there's no way. No, Dweaker can't die along with them. There's going to be some sort of, somebody is going to swoop it, but nope. Mm-mm. And I mean, yes, we find out later other things, but that part, I was like, oh, so this is happening. Okay. Yeah, I do like how the last act he does in the city is to kill Nethpara. <laughs> because Nethpara, yeah, he deserved it. Paul Galar, too, but he did not get it. <laughs> no, but he probably did get a concussion, maybe some br- minor brain damage. So you gotta take the bad with the good, I guess. Yeah. So shall we go to the next chapter? Well, there are two things. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, sorry, just kidding. I have more. <laughs> <laughs> you guys thought just having the three of us, we would go shorter. Mm. It's a good book. We haven't even got gotten through to like the overall thoughts. Anyway, um, Dweaker's last thoughts. I'm not even gonna go into like the Jack Hut ghost thing and like theories or anything, but um, he thought to himself. You leave a place of strangers now and go to a place of companions, of friends. So claim the priests of Hood. It's the last gift. I am done with this world, for I am alone in it. Alone. And that is, ah, it's so Mm -hmm. sad where for him, like, all the people he cared about, he just watched them die. 
and he feels like that's it i'm alone so i i embrace it i'm ready to go and yeah. i i do think this can be uh you know bittersweet in that if you live a really long life right and at the end of your life you're like yep everybody is gone you know i've outlived them all i'm ready to go but that is not the case for him mm. his the people who he cared about were taken from him too mm-hmm. soon yeah that jack ghost story was weird right so you're gonna bring it up <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying it was weird i don't even know what to think of it honestly it, it's kind of just like it's there and i don't know what it means and i'm just gonna go with it uh i'll give you a little teaser for memories of ice you'll learn more about the the jack hut wars in the next book okay just to go back to the thing you you said about being alone in the world i think yeah. this is well first of all it's it's really sad that he he's finally ready to go and then he gets denied that because his soul isn't allowed to leave his body basically and gets captured in that little vial mm, yes uh, which I think he forgot about completely. And right. also, I, again, I think this just speaks to one of the most important things about being a human is other people. And if you lose that, then like, what's the point? You know, that's a good point because this could be um, a trigger for some people if they're going through really tough times and feel very, very alone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, this... This could be bittersweet if the it's in the right circumstance, but um, it could also be a very dangerous um, mindset. Yeah, please reach out. Yeah. So I did have questions. Go for it. So there, there is a quote, one more quote, and then my question flows from there. It's Dweaker, uh, Dweaker thinking, two powerful honors had clashed. The raw duty to save the lives of fellow soldiers and the discipline of the Malazan command structure. And from that collision, 10,000 living, breathing, highly trained soldiers now stood broken. And this is before, right, like they were even ordered to ride out. Here's my question. Do you feel that this is a bit contradictory to what was said about the Malazan soldiers before how they were scary weapons because they were... I mean, we interpret it as like they were given autonomy. Like, mm-hmm. why do you think the soldiers obey the command? Why didn't Erickson write it a different way? So what what I believe the Malazan army's doctrine is, is the commanders give you a task and you decide how to do it. That's the freedom they're given. And in return for this freedom, they create a very rigid and coherent power structure because... A lot of the times in in militaries, the perception of power and the appearance that things are going in a very orderly fashion is very important because True. if things descend into chaos, then it's every man for himself. But so long as there is order, then you know you know morale is maintained. So if you have a very strong command structure, then you're allowed to let your soldiers do what they want a little bit more because the appearance of order will still be maintained. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's how I see it. I think I understand what you're saying. It also makes me think, like, if if Malik and Pormqual were still the people, you know, in power, but mm-hmm. those soldiers had been trained under, like, Dweaker, Whiskey Jack, 
I think the events would have been very different. I mean, I don't know for sure whether or not, like, where these soldiers came from, their history or anything. But I think this is an example of how the bridge burners are different and set apart from the rest of the Malazan army. I think that this is a great example of the rot inside of the empire that's been Mm. spoken about so much. And that when uh, Dasimul Tor was the head of the army, the first sword, that that was you know, the case and the people just didn't buy themselves into uh, officers' uh, roles. But as time goes on, things change. It happens in any empire, uh, even the, the cons, like their, their first one or two generations, they were known for their a certain type of culture. And when they become complacent, uh, cultures change, right? True. And it's hard to go back to, you know, what you once were. And I think that that's what happened here. I'm trying to think of how to ask this. Is there a parallel in history? I'm sure there is. I feel like there is. I just can't think of it right off the top of my head. For what specifically? For a bunch of soldiers being ordered to not um, act when they should have. Probably. I don't know. I imagine there's quite a few. Those aren't typically very glorious. Those who don't get talked about a lot. But right. yeah, I would, I would imagine there's there's quite a few circumstances where commanders were too cowardly and let things happen that they shouldn't have. Yeah, I I mean, personally, I feel like those people should be studied as much as the people who got it right to, you know, identify why problems occur. <laughs> this reminds me of a story from uh, early Edo period Japan, where there was a, what's the succession? There's a succession problem. And uh, one army comes to the castle and they're like, hey, you know, you should fill in your moat so that, you know, it's not okay to have a moat. And they filled it in and they're like, okay, we're going to go away. And they came back later and just killed everybody. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) if they didn't fill in the moat, they wouldn't have died, right? I don't know if it's perfectly, you know, one-to-one parallel, but Mm -hmm. if they just didn't fill in the moat, (laughs) the problem wouldn't have got Mm -hmm. that far. And it's more complicated than that, but. And hindsight is also twenty twenty. Mm. That was my one question. It was actually multiple oh. questions, but also I think that the Malazan army is also just more modern than other armies. So, from what I understand, modern militaries are divided into squads, and each squad is given immensely way to accomplish tasks, right? But yeah. at the same time, there is also a very rigid command structure. Structure like there is things like court martials and um promotions and stuff like carrots and sticks to reinforce the structure and military police of course as well whereas before a lot of places relied pretty much on the charisma of the general to get Mm -hmm. by rather than the structure that the army had Mm -hmm. and yeah i guess i'm just saying that malazans are more sophisticated than these barbarians when you say these barbarians you're referring to that's uh, seven cities natives speaking a bit tongue-in-cheek but oh okay oh okay so you're making a differentiation between like coltane and the seventh and the rn army where the rn army are not 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 the rn army the armies employed by the whirlwind oh i see yeah 
because they are frequently depicted as much more sav- savage and undisciplined than the Malazans, yes. especially um, the ones led by Camistrolo. And notably, the army that does bring down Coltane the Seventh was a Malazan army as well, led by a Malazan commander, Corporal Udom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guy's the worst. It was personal. Hmm. Chapter 23? Chapter 23. Kalam keeps doing awesome assassin stuff and kills more assassins. <laughs> Manila saves Kalam and takes him to Moxhold to kill the Empress. Fiddler and his comrades exit the dead house in Malaz City, encountering Apt, who guides them through the shadow, through shadow to Kalam. Kalam confronts the Empress and abandons his quest after speaking to Lacine. Kalam and Manila are rescued by Apt, Fiddler and Co. and escaped escape into shadow shadow throne cramps everyone a wish after apt seeks uh speaks up for them uh is this the chapter where they meet uh gothos i think so yes yeah that was fun right mm. it's like oh so this is that guy writing that book mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we find out Gardium's that uh yeah Guardian's dad <laughs> that was fun i liked that mm-hmm. should i say who else he's the dad of or should i not mm. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, never mind. I, <laughs> no. And we do get confirmation here that Mapo's village was destroyed by the Nameless Ones. Or yeah. so they think. Well, that's what Gotho said, and yeah, I just kind of take his word as law when it comes to <laughs> lore. I think he's right, but you know, maybe Gothos doesn't know everything. He has been stuck in and as at house for a long time. Was that a nice surprise, Panda? It was. I I knew that Jack Hutt would play a role in this book. I just didn't know how. Mm. That's typical of Jack Hutt. <laughs> <laughs> typical Jack Hutt. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I would say, like, I just don't know enough about the Jag Huts, even though we did get quite a bit with Raced and Gardens and some of that backstory or like the culture, society, whatever, history of the people. But it, I mean, Raced was a an anomaly. So that's currently, that was my impression of Jag Hut going into this book. And Akarium, he's half Jag Hut. Um, and now we are meeting more. So I'm just, I feel like there's a lot more coming and I'm just waiting to see what it is. Mm-hmm. The Jacob to me are really sad because they are so individual and they can't really stand others of their own kind. Even the family, <laughs> family unit? The family's to like a sort of, but they still tend to be pretty individualistic. Which is interesting because of how. Uh, I mean, the the little bit that we got with this Jack Hutt family, like, the way that I read it, it seemed like their relationship was pretty close. So they they cared a lot for each other, but they lived individually. So what happened during the war was one of them got attacked, which drew in the close family members, which Mm -hmm. drew in their close family members, and so on, until the entire family unit was exterminated. Oh, I see. They, They... they serve as a great contrast for the Telonomas, who I think it's obvious that Erickson's, you know, making a contrast between individuals and uh, communal societies. Thank you. Yes. And yeah, for the Telonomas, if you, like we saw earlier uh, with a guy who had no clan, he 
got a lot of freedom, but also lost all of his meeting, whereas the Jackhut live alone and they're just kind of the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely parallels to a real world that I can think of. Mm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <clears throat> so we get more Manala and Kalam and Shadow Throne giving out gifts like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never heard it described like that, but yeah, that's good. I mean, he he's giggly and like very jolly. Um, <laughs> and he's like, you get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift. I'm feeling generous. Yeah. <gasps> I love Shadow Throne, I will just say. <laughs> and it is here that we get his one moment of sincerity. Because when he talks to Fiddler, he's like, yeah, with soldiers like you, it's no wonder we conquered half a world. Yeah. This once, Fiddler, I'm not mocking. Fiddler, his gift is he's going to re-enlist. Mm-hmm. And, uh... How do I mean, you feel yes. about that? Hmm? How do you feel about that? It's a choice. I get <laughs> it. Uh, in the sense that if you know, for him, he finds fulfillment in it, or he just doesn't know what else he would do if he wasn't a soldier. That That's also very realistic. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's mm-hmm. fueled a lot by what he saw and uh, experienced in Seven Cities. Yeah. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. I think he probably just would have went back to Genovacus, right? With the rest of the uh, bridge burners. Mm-hmm. This, this kind of ties with what DeWicker was saying when he was talking about let let them not say that I was among the dead to accuse the living. I think Fiddler, having witnessed what he saw, needs to give an answer in the only way he can, and that's to mm. re-enlist. That's true. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so did you did you like the the exchange between uh, Manala and Kalam? Mm-hmm. I thought I thought that was cute. What specifically? Oh well, she's like. He's like, how, how could you have followed me this whole time? And she's like, really? Are you that dense? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, 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 I'm a little subtle. Oh, you could have fooled me. <laughs> yes. Yes, men are that dense. Can confirm. At least I, I mean, was and am. Yep, I can same. also be very dense, but <laughs> in other ways, maybe. Anyway. Okay. Uh, we talked about the dog earlier. I really like that dog. Mm, yeah, the ratter. <laughs> he throws him up on the on the roof. It's quite funny, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, it scurries away. And uh, first it screws him. Oh, yeah, first it screws him because it barks, and then it uh, saves him because it rips the face off of the. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the then guy. there's oh, a is... there's somebody up there. That's there's the a... dog's owner. <laughs> yeah, the dog's owner is just there. I don't know what they were doing this whole time, but anyway. Oh, I actually have a quote. Look at that. This is one of my two quotes for the podcast. Uh, this is from Kalam. Uh, he's explaining to Manalo why he didn't kill Lazine. It's our nature, isn't it? Again and again, we cling to the foolish belief that simple solutions exist. I, I anticipated a dramatic, satisfying con- confrontation. The flash of sorcery, the spray of blood. I wanted a sworn enemy dead by my hand. Instead, I had an audience with a mortal woman. More or less. Mm, I had that one too. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the part about uh, we believe again and again we, that simple solutions exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah. Although there's 
there's always these like contradictory sayings, right? There's like Occam's razor, and there's also like the simplest way is the best way. But then there's also the reality where it's like, you know, sometimes things are just complicated. I never trust anybody who offers simple solutions to problems. And uh, I, I really wish that more people were like that. <laughs> I think if people were more distrusting of simplicity, then the world would be less messed up. People like to hear simple, easy answers because it's easy to believe. It's because that's what they want to believe. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, our brains, like we do tend to go for, in general, not everyone, um, mm -hmm. tend to go for the simple solutions or simple things to hold on to. And there is also a beauty in that when, you know, if you can do something in three steps, why do it in 10? Mm -hmm. So it, I think it overall, <laughs> just us talking about it makes it more complicated. So it's not just that simple. <laughs> Um, it depends on the context. What are you trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a, a somber one from Fiddler. It said, Fiddler's gaze was drawn to a bench against the near wall. He hobbled to it and sat down, leaning his head against the warm stone wall. He closed his eyes. Gods, our struggles are as nothing. Our inner scars, naught but scratches. Bless you, Hood, for your gift of mortality. I could not live as these descendants do. I could not so torture my soul. Hmm. Do you think Fiddler feels bad for the uh, the ascendants? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think it's more of he chooses to be different. That is not what he wants, mm -hmm. which makes more sense now, having read this part. And if you go back to reread the whole interaction with Kimlock, why he didn't want Kimlock to touch him, and blah blah blah. Listen, yeah. Mm -hmm. And. Uh... Yeah, okay. What do you think about Ikarium and Gothos? Like, what specifically? They are father and son. <laughs> they, are, they are father and son. But you have Gothos, who is... He is Ikarium's dad. And he's actively campaigning to get Ikarium taken by the Azath. And Mappo is standing in the way. And Ikar Gothos is pretty much like Mappo... Like, bonds of friendship are, are strong, but... Mine is of blood to him. And even I recognize the necessity of having this this guy put away because he's hurting too many people. Would the Azath house have made Ikarium its guardian? I don't think so. I think it just wanted to imprison him. Okay. Because yeah, he's just he's just too dangerous, right? He shattered a warren, which is a and really big the deal. House. And destroyed the Azath house. Okay, well, that prompts another question, which is like, can an Azath house actually hold Ikarium? <laughs> it would certainly try. <laughs> um, it wants to. I think. I think if it kept him sedated somehow, then it would be able to, because he's only super dangerous when he's in a rage. Like the Hulk. And if you just, yeah, yeah, if you don't let him get to the point, then it's more or less fine. I guess. Uh, this becomes a very moral question. Um, I think... Go ahead. Uh, well, the moral question would be, like, if somebody has is known and has the capacity to do something really, really harmful, but they don't intend... It's, like, they can't necessarily control it. What sh should they be put away? And, like, what should be done about this person? 
In some way, I think it's this. The question is made easier and more complicated by Akariam's response, because even he says he needs to be put away, and he would have given himself to the Azath if it wasn't for Mapo. I think Mapo it recognizes that he's being selfish, mm. and he's doing something he shouldn't be doing, but he can't help himself because he's Akariam's friend. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because like, well, yes, I don't have it an is. Answer. It does make it more complicated and simple at the same freaking time, which is what we just talked about before. I, I can say that I'm glad that the house didn't take Ikarium. That's all I'll say. I mean, I feel like most readers would be in Mapo's position too. I think so. I think you're right. He, like, we just can't help but get deeply tied to this this guy who's very clearly a, a nice guy at heart and you don't want bad things to happen to him compared with like we never see him destroy anything in this we don't see him kill an entire city we just see the aftermath it's like uh that saying uh a single death is a tragedy a million is a statistic mm. that's that's what Akarium's story reminds me most of sure. i think friendship is a good answer to that question and that as long as he has mapo it I mean, okay. yeah, because, like, Mapo isn't just his friend. Mapo is also a check for him. Mm-hmm. So I think this might be too naive, but I think in terms of a compromise, uh, this is a good solution where Akarium still gets to live his life, but there is somebody there who is there to check him as best as they can i mean it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect but at the same time yeah it it, it gets into a very moral question <laughs> mm-hmm. and the previous companion of akarim had died by suicide yes mm-hmm. so I, I yeah when i read mapo's inner monologue then i could see him going the same way because he is so consumed with self-hatred and he has no one he can talk to about it basically yeah, like it is a lot of burden that Mapo has taken on. I mean, he was also chosen for it, so uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how much say he really had. In... <laughs> I think he chose. Yeah, he was too. he he was manipulated into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's the hard hitter of the <laughs> of the episode. Maybe there will be more. I have no idea. Okay, I got uh. So at when Topper and Lassine were talking after Kalam, well, when Topper and, and the Bones were talking after Kalam left, I think Lassine said, Hood's breath, Dancer himself would have hesitated before taking on Kalam the car. I like mm-hmm. that because Kalam's awesome. <laughs> and uh, finally, when uh, Crocus and Fiddler finally meet up with Kalam and a familiar voice whispered close to him, We've got, we've got her, and Crocus is a stallion. Kalam blinked. Sorry? It's Absalar these days, Corporal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, uh, I just imagine that it's a running joke that Erickson had, <laughs> and he's going to use that whenever he can. Questions? Sure. Let's go for it. Ash? Yeah. Did anybody else develop a crush in Absalar throughout this book? <laughs> little bit no a little bit yeah 
She is uh she's kind of the perfect woman. But anyways. <laughs> Good to know. What did <laughs> Yeah, what did you guys think about Kalam and Lucine's confrontation? Were you convinced by her? Were you convinced by her? Yeah, my question is why didn't Kalam kill Lucine or continue the hunt? And I think the answer for both our questions was probably going to be the same. Kalam didn't kill Lucine because, as he said, she didn't try and justify her actions, really. She just answered the way an empress should because she is speaking for the empire. And she felt that Shadow Throne or Kelenved and Dancer weren't suited to be rulers. And I think that's fair. And she didn't want a civil war with Desem Alter, which I think is also fair. I think she also admitted her faults, which helped. Yep. And she admitted how painful it was for her to betray her friends like that. So it sounds like you guys are convinced. I am. I love Lacine. <laughs> <laughs> I do not love Lacine. But I understand her, I think. I think I need more time to process. And also, um, back when we were talking about gardens and there was the whole like, hey, so who do you think the real enemy is? And I was like, well, maybe it's Lacine. But then she probably has some tragic backstory. And (laughs) like, I'm reserving judgment. Uh, until I know more because every I think there is a lot more to be revealed and there's more for me to digest so in terms of in this book am I convinced I'm I'm not like not convinced but I'm just a little more confused and I think Kalam's reaction because I I trust Kalam as a character I'm like okay I will trust your decision Mm-hmm. even though I don't 100% understand it. Do you think fatigue might be part of it? So he gets there, and she's not even there. He couldn't kill her there, even if he tried. Well, and we he, don't he really know way. that as a first-time reader. Um, all you do we at know, the end. Yeah, like at he, the end. But like when the conversation was happening. Oh, yeah. Right. And I do think based on the gift that they got from shadow throne (laughs) i think he was ready to be done he he had he found a woman you know he found a (laughs) companion who could put up with him and also 1300 children (laughs) but i mean i think by the time he got there he had already gone through so much and the the whole assassin war or that assassin sequence. I mean, if I had gone through all that, I would just be like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Klong went through all that to just give up on his mission, I think really speaks to his strength of character because a lot of people who would like the, the sunk cost fallacy is a very real thing. A lot of people who got to that position would have just tried to kill her anyways. But he you know, gave her a chance and was legitimately convinced by her arguments, I think. And I, I don't know if he figured out that she wasn't there or not. I think that yeah. I think it's left ambiguous for a reason. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, I, I yeah, I, don't I think find it, was it hard. Ambiguous. No, you don't think so? What do you what do you think he uh, do you think he figured it out? Yeah, I mean, the, what he yeah. told uh, Minala afterwards basically is like I couldn't kill her even if I tried. Because... But the captain he was talking to, the captain of her card, said that uh, it said something about her being a bag of bones, and then Kalam was like, "What?" And they're just like, "Oh, nothing." Oh, maybe I misread. Yeah, like also, I think Kalam realizes that like there's not really anyone better to lead the empire because like who you're gonna replace Lazine with? Malik Rail. Oh. No, gross. Well, we we had talked about before that we, you know, what did we think? Like Quick Ben's plan was like we think that maybe they wanted to replace Lacine with Whiskey Jack, or I don't know. I don't think Whiskey Jack would take it. Honestly, kind of coming back to real life, um, a lot of those high positions, like. VPs, executives. I'm just like, I don't really want that because mm-hmm. of the amount of responsibility. And like, you make a mistake, that can cost a company, can cost people millions of dollars, their livelihoods. And yeah, I'm just like, their know, lives. Their lives, exactly. And in, mm-hmm. in this case, yeah, I'm okay not having that power. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is nearly impossible to be a good person in those circumstances and stay sane. You do have to give up something, yeah. whether that's, you know, what Coltane did, you know, he, he sacrificed himself. Mm-hmm. And with Lacine, I'm not exactly sure, but we've already seen her sacrifice, like her, her relationships, her friendships, her mm-hmm. connections. Which is probably all she had because we know that she grew up basically a nothing mm-hmm. and then conquered an empire together with her friends, you know, as friends do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Heron. I looked it up. <laughs> so Kalam comes out and he's talking to Manila. She said, did you kill the Empress? I killed a ghost, perhaps. No, a scarecrow I made in Lacine's guise. An assassin should never see the face behind the victim's mask. Not but mocking echoes in that chamber. We're done here. And then later with the captain of the guard, who, by the way, is the same uh, guy that enlisted Sari in book one. Yes. Yes. I wanted to point that out, but he couldn't make it today. <laughs> uh, captain Aragon grinned. Oh, the Empress, you mean? Something in his tone hinted at great amusement. She's not aged well, has she? But Kalam makes no. Oh, yeah. He never, he never responds. That's true. Ah, uh, okay. So I say Kalam do. I am Can inclined I to agree. So I wasn't listening to what you guys were talking about. I was looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. A scarecrow made in Lazine's guys. That's an excellent way to say a straw man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. That that leads to my other question, who is which is who is the corpse? Oh yeah. Like, is that actually Lazine, and then she's just like no longer physically in the world or she pulled like I don't know a shaik. Pulled a shaik? Yeah, pulled a shaik. <laughs> I think <laughs> it was just some I don't know I don't know what that means. <laughs> you don't know what that means? Well Shaik died, right? And you know, she got remade. 
I think that's what you're talking about, right, Panda? Yeah, but like, mm. I mean, she has a deal with Felicent where like Felicent gets to keep her identity, whereas normally she would have just like taken over the, the physical mm. being. That's <laughs> my think, understanding. Like, Lazine is an idea, basically, or like a like a force that takes over bodies. Or... I don't know. I'm just mm. <laughs> spewing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what is the significance? I mean, I know the significance of the corpse, but like, does it matter who the corpse is? I think Would you no. Like an answer? It's I yeah. I don't think the corpse is important. I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, Lucine's just probably somewhere different, talking through the corpse. And okay. I, I imagine the corpse is just a part of the magic that, as far as my understanding, is just probably part of the magic that yeah. required her to talk through it. Okay. Lucine's alive and well. Relatively speaking, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Unta. Probably, yeah, Unta. Shall we go on to chapter 24? Yeah. Shaikh arrives outside Aran to witness the aftermath of Corbolo Dom's slaughter. She recalls her troops to Raraku. Baruch, via Rudd and Erp, retrieves Duhikar's body and soul. Pust is alive. We learn the undead dragon guards the true gate for the Path of Hands. Ikarian wakes up, remembering nothing. The, their endless quest resumes. So I, I talked earlier about how much I cried during the uh, the scenes. I actually cried more in this one when uh, and Felison was talking with uh, Hipwork. Actually, uh, can I just share it? Mm-hmm. So Felison's talking about her new daughter. You have named her Felison, haven't you? I have. She turned her head, stared into his sightless eyes. It's a fine name, is it not? It holds such promise, a fresh innocence such as that which parents would see in their child, those bright, eager eyes. I would know, he said. She watched the tears roll down his weathered, tattooed cheeks, feeling detached from their significance, yet understanding that his observation was not meant as a condemnation. Only loss. Oh, Hiborg, she said. It's not worthy of grief. Had she thought a moment longer before speaking those words, she would have realized that they, beyond any others, would break the old man. He seemed to crumple inward before her eyes, his body shuddering. She reached out a hand he could not see, almost touched him, then withdrew it. And even as she did so, she knew that the moment of healing had been lost. Hmm. Man, Hibbert hey, really cares. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, he was in, in a hole for uh, most of the, the first half of the book, but I really think he does care about Phyllis and then worries about her and her. Have you ever been in this situation where somebody has just they're they're in Felicent's situation where they're just filled with self-loathing and they think that they're not important and you they don't consider the way they feel about themselves affects you know people around them. Do, it, does that make sense? You mean like the person isn't as aware of how the way that they see themselves impacts the people who care about them? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And this was just too real for me. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, the fact that she has gone through so much and she, yeah, she she thinks that she's essentially worth nothing is what I read from this that it doesn't matter who she was before or what happened to her it it's not worthy of grief. It's not worthy of anyone feeling bad for her. And she just takes that as fact and that that hurts mm-hmm. even more hearing her say that. Yeah. And uh another another sad thing that Hibor goes through. Yeah, when he's when he's before the crucified soldiers, he walks up to Dwicker, though he doesn't know it, 
and says, Who is this? I can see nothing, can sense nothing. Who is this man? The corpulent silk-clad priest finally spoke. An old man, unhanded one. A soldier, no more than that. One one among ten thousand. And then later, Hiborg was the last, sitting helpless on his horse, staring up at a corpse that told him nothing. There was no end to the laughter in his head, the laughter that rode the wind sweeping through Aaron Gate at his back. I think that was Hood's laughter that is hearing, by the way. Oh, that was my question. <laughs> yeah. And and I think this is the completion of what Hood appeared to him at the beginning for. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Why is Hood laughing? I don't know what else Hood would do. <laughs> I mean uh, I, I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my thoughts on the nature of Hood for later, but That's fair. Yeah. Panda, why do you think Hood was laughing? <laughs> Throughout all of this, right, people struggling to survive, people struggling to be on top. Hood doesn't really care who comes out on top. The whole process of it is what, well, I don't know if Hood is really a he, but that's what I'm using to refer to, Hood. Hood cares about, oh, go ahead. They do reference Hood's hairy balls. (laughs) I mean, that could also be a metaphor. Um, (laughs) But sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, like, death doesn't care who remains alive. As long as death gets death's portion or whatever. So through it all, I mean, this is probably, like, really, really cynical. The struggles of man, the struggles of people, it's all a joke to Hood. It's like, you're trying so hard. doesn't matter, because in the end, I win. Good thoughts. Yeah, I think that is, and then it's a very excellent. Do we want to address um, a listener question while we're on the topic of Felicin? Sure. It's a uh, Tordmig. I probably pronounced that wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> Change your name. <laughs> it's definitely not Tor my egg. Okay. No. Um... <laughs> What do you think about the way forward for Fellas and Peran after reading this? I don't want to answer. <laughs> I, I also I don't think answer. you two can answer, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a you question. <laughs> oh, too bad Yasna's gone. I know. Oh. Yasna's not feeling well, so. I kind of lost interest in Fellas after the whole Shaikh thing. That was kind of like the end of her arc for this book. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, I. The whole scene with like the Shaikh coming through this giant or Warren that is the whirlwind. Also, I think, um, I, I didn't quite get it, uh, to be honest. And yeah, unfortunately, I just don't well i guess it's more of a question which is like where does the whole felicin tavor thing go from here now that felicin is not felicin herself and is shaik and is it shaik letting fueling how do i say this is it that shaik is going to use felicin's desire for vengeance 
to her own gain. Um, and so if that is the case, then if Felicin and Tavor meet, like, who is it really? I, I, yeah, I think it's more of, I just have more questions than really any real thoughts. Give us a prediction. Um, you, you think that Felicin and Tavor will meet? So, <laughs> yes, but this is my cop-out answer. <laughs> I think they will meet, but not in the way that I expect. I don't think it will necessarily be face-to-face. I think there will be some sort of medium conduit in between. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I mean, honestly, this is a really dumb answer because they will, right? Because (laughs) Shaikh is the leader of the rebellion and Tavor is leading um, the Malazan army and they will meet through battle. Do you think Felicin will get her vengeance? No, um, and I don't think it's because something is, like, she's going to die before she can do that. I think it's, there will be a change of heart. I, I just like this thought from her. When Haborg asks her, does she have any regrets? She thinks to herself, regret? Oh, yes, many regrets. Beginning with a vicious argument with my sister, back in Unta, a sisterly spat that went too far. A hurt child accusing her sister of killing their parents, one then the other, father, mother, a hurt child who had lost all reasons to smile. Yeah, although that makes it sound like that Felicin holds Tavor responsible for her father's death, which that's not the case, though, right? It would be... I think she's saying that she regrets accusing Tavor of mm, okay. killing your father and mother. Got it. I that mean, was, the mother that part, the mother part I, I get. Because her father died fairly shortly after Ganos um, mm-hmm. left. He felt ill, yeah. Which, okay, I just need to ask. Ganos in Gardens, he was supposed to have died, but the, the twins, right, like they did their thing. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a trade, a life for a life. So they said, you know, somebody close to you would would die. Is it is it his father? Could very well be, yeah. Or like there's no definitive answer given. I'm not sure. Cause I I had predicted that it was actually gonna be Fellison who was mm-hmm. going to be the trade. But IDK. Okay. <laughs> uh uh, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> okay. I don't. I mean, know it what it could be his that. father. It could be his mother. I mean, it also could be something that happens that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. We do know his oh. father and mother are dead, and that there is supposed to be a trade. So that could be it. a life given for a life taken. I um, just feel like that part is so is like crucial in gardens, so that. It, I feel like Erickson would address it more explicitly. That's all I'm saying. Mm. All right, more books. But oh, uh, great, thanks. <laughs> uh, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I almost shared that quote, actually. Uh, Ash, it's a good one. Um, yeah. I like this one when uh, Mapo, ah, uh, Karim soon will awaken. He's talking about uh, 
saving the dogs, right? Because poor truth. Oh, man, I've been there. Soon you will awaken, and still I shall grieve, and so lead you to wonder. My grief begins with you, friend, for your loss of memories. Memories not of horror, but of gifts given so freely. Too many dead. How to answer this? How would you answer this, Akarium? And Mappo decides to save the dogs because, you know, what would Ikarium do? WWID. And Ikarium <laughs> would save the dogs. And this is... Erickson addresses it one of his essays. This is the moment of catharsis that the story warrants, he believes. All this tragedy has been answered by an act of compassion. And Roach. Benton Roach. I I want to see more of truth. I don't know if I will. Uh, I know you guys know whether or not I will, but uh, truth was given something here. And you know, it's not, yes, he's, it's something more metaphorical. Like he was given not a second chance. It's, it, I don't know how to word it, but I feel like he was given a gift when Mapo chose to save the dogs. And I want to see how it pans out. And the, the dogs indeed were worthy beasts. So even the little yeah. roach. <laughs> I mean, I'm not as attached to Roach, but I'm only attached to Roach a little bit because Bent is attached to Roach. <laughs> I actually really like Roach. <laughs> He's a little stupid yap dog, but I love him. Yeah, I... Yeah. And you think about it, Truth is actually given quite a lot in this book. He has the protection and mentorship of Gessler and Stormy when he could have easily had people who didn't care about him and just left him to die. He's given... Uh, let's say strange powers by the Warren of Fire, mm. and then yeah, he's given this gift at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Also, his name is Truth, and also his name is Truth. <laughs> that must mean something. I'm not a hundred percent sure the implications of that naming, which also makes me think that I will see more of this character. Mm. All right. So, um, do we really need to read the one for prologue? Is there one for prologue? There is one sentence. The epilogue? Uh, yeah, epilogue, thank you. Sorry. Right. Bef- before we move on, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take it. It's called Pus and Mogora. Mogora? <laughs> he found his spiders. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also m- more that he found his match. <laughs> In more Dal- ways than one. <laughs> Dalhani's woman. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's worse than Dalhani's men. <laughs> Kellenbrook is also Dalhani, in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And this isn't this isn't a spoiler, really. Yeah, they they do end up uh, considering themselves husband and wife. <laughs> I mean, I believe it. <laughs> I, there, there's like no um, actual development of this uh, relationship, but I believe it. it they are a perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's excellent because no one noticed the spiders except for Pust, who just had like an inkling that they were there the entire time. Mm. So of course everyone assumes he's insane, but uh, Pust not not as crazy as he seems. Mm-hmm. Do you Just did you it. notice that more on your rereads? I well, he 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 mentions spiders, but you never there. there I don't think there's any hints that the spiders. Are, are are someone are. okay there there's is. there's 
there's an incident where like uh, a bunch of spiders come come around mm-hmm. but when he's just going around the temple like a lunatic with his broom sweeping away spiders then it's not really there's not really anything there it's just okay. so earlier when uh mapo and Akarium are walking around in the temple it, they make it very clear that it's only mapo and Akarium, and they walk through a gate and during that time i think the words were the three enter the hallway or something oh mm. Mm. i think the third could was probably M- M- mogora because it's it's very clear that's only mapo and Akarium. interesting that's my only thing nice so uh epilogue not prologue the epilogue all right Coltane is resurrected in the body of what it would have been a stillborn babe on the Wiccan plane. What a good ending, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like the way it was described. Like, uh, it looked like a swarm of flies. Then you realize it's a swarm of crows and a swarm of crows come and Coltane is reborn. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting familiar enough with Erickson's writing that I can start to see past some Definitely not all, but some of the red herrings. <laughs> so should we talk about the book as a whole now? Um, Panda, what do you think of Coltane's resurrection? Do you feel like this cheapens his death or not? Uh, no. No, because there has been precedent set for the Wiccan being reborn. And to like, this is a character that deserves it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to me, like, I see value in Coltane continuing on as a character, not just for plot's sake, but there is um, there's more meaning to it than than just used as a plot device. I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. I will say that I really like the Wiccan cycle of rebirth. I think there's something really beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. I don't think this death was cheapened. I think, first of all, the fact that he's reborn doesn't take away the fact that he died in a horrible way. Yes. And also, he's a baby now. <laughs> he's not a <laughs> fully grown man. <laughs> yes. And thus is uh, much more hampered in his ability to do things. <laughs> I think at in gardens because we didn't really, as a first time reader, you don't really know what a soul taken is, and mm. you don't really understand like how this world works, all the different ways it can work. So I came, I came into gardens with, you know, just expectations of what. I'm used to reading, which points to the whole Erickson subverting expectations, blah, 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 <laughs> that he's so good at. But I think it's also now that I have grown more familiar with his world building, his storytelling, um, and that he has gained my trust as a reader, I don't feel as off-put or put off by him choosing some characters to continue on. Um, I stand by that 
I if Lorne had came back, I would not have liked it as much. At least initially. It really depends on like what he does, but my initial instinct would be why? Like no. Yeah, that's fair. I, I still think I talk, did, yeah. talk the younger is still alive though. Why would you think that? He's been thrown to a hellscape of a war and there's no way he survived. No way. There's eight more books. Eight more books. I mean, he, he said so himself. He's a bad claw. He, he's just he's just like an upjump soldier, basically. No, I think Talk's talk still alive. All right. So, um, book as a whole? Book as a whole. All right. I got some questions. This is actually about the book as well. For sure. How do you feel about the Malazan Empire after this book? Hey, that's my question. <laughs> Uh, where's Yasna? I need him to help answer. Um, something something Marxist, something something <laughs> historical lens. <laughs> he, he would have good a good answer here. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which I think we're going to have to ask him to, to supplement. Um, no, he'll have to wait at the end of the, ne- uh, the next series. <laughs> I feel torn conflicted it's definitely not black and white and uh, yeah <laughs> thank you for that answer <laughs> when i finished the book i so i went in starting went in hating the empire and wanting it to basically be destroyed but at the end i was firmly on the fence <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was with you, but I went into the book like, uh, like, hey, the Empire's pretty cool. And then I, I, I exited the book like, hey, it's, it's, it's maybe not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think part of it is that depending on your views, just the word Empire, if you think about like Star Wars, let's take Star Wars, right? Hmm. Very Empire culture. There, yeah. yeah. Empire is seen as the big bad, right? There's a lot to be said about just the word empire is used to describe this society, whatever you want to call this. So it's easy to go in with that preconception empire is bad. But what we get, and I, I do think that this is what Erickson is doing, meant to do, right? By showing the balance, by showing multiple perspectives, it's much more complicated. It's not that simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, even with like Star Wars these days, the kinds of things we get, you also see the moral ambiguity of like a stormtrooper not being bad, right? <laughs> and rebels making not the greatest of decisions. So yeah, I think there's... What I would say is we're past the black and white that was particularly prevalent during like the world wars, the cold war, and we've become more like globally aware, more opening back up, I guess, to each other as people and humans. Not to say there are no problems still, for sure there are, but I think generally we're moving towards a more like cosmopolitan, I don't know if cosmopolitan is the right word. Um, Globalized? Yeah, more like acknowledging that it's not just black and white. It's more complicated. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
part of our perception, large part of our perception is that uh, our perception of empire was created by the 20th and 19th, 20th century empires, which were kind of drilled into us how bad they were and like all the terrible things that they did. And like rightfully so, we should be told about that. But, you know, we're still feeling the effects of all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you see a rise just in fantasy genre alone of authors writing more morally ambiguous characters, morally gray, right? And people wanting to read these characters. So, yeah, I think that's just, yes, anyway. I think it's a very cyclical thing. People go through stages of being okay with complexity and nuance in their stories and their worldview. And then eventually they get so sick of there not being right answers or yeah. simple, <laughs> simple answers problems that they go back to wanting black and white morality. I, think I love those right. kind of books. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've gone in my very short lifespan. I've seen, I've seen this happen, right? Like sometimes when crisis hap- a crisis happens, people want to look towards, you know, an idealized future or present or past. Mm-hmm. I, I won't say it, but okay, I will say it. <laughs> <laughs> there is a pattern in politics to that that politicians like to run on. We are going to go back to the way things were Mm -hmm. in the good old days. Mm -hmm. And it's not just politicians either. It's not just politicians. It's it's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's that's I think the the clearest way of determining how people are feeling about these issues, because, you know, they they decide in a very meaningful way. This is what I want. This is what has convinced me. It is this person who is saying, we will go back to the good old days. It's very much human nature to resist change, particularly Mm -hmm. major changes. You know, when you're growing up, you don't know as much. You don't have as much to anchor on. Just not as much experience. And so you're more fluid. You're more open. You're, You're more, in general, more open to risk and trying new things. But once you have you know, formed habits, your identity is firmer, you're not as willing for things to change. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of big world problems where we feel urgency that we need to change, but the change will take multiple generations. It's not going to happen just like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got another question. Mm. (laughs) Are you excited to be going back to Jitabacus or would you rather stay in Seven Cities? I don't necessarily care where we go. I care about which characters we go back to. Well, but that's basically what I'm asking. Okay. Well, because, like, I mean, characters could go anywhere. Okay. Are you excited to go back to the Bridge Burners and crew, or <laughs> would you rather stay with uh, Fiddler and crew? I count Fiddler as... Yeah, but I, okay. I see what you mean. Um, I'm on the fence. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer today. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the camaraderie of the bridge burners and the banter, but also because, like, in gardens, the stakes. Uh... <laughs> 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 well, okay. I was going to stakes weren't as high, but you know, no, the stakes were pretty high. So it was definitely more lighthearted. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's just say this. I want more of the things that I like. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what a revelation. (laughs) I'm going to have to keep a a mark of how many non-answers we get this episode. (laughs) Reading reading back again, the book I'm most excited for is my favorite book five. But in between three and four, I'm actually more excited for four this time. Really? Yeah. But that is interesting because some other people that I know who are currently going through and are ahead, mm-hmm. the fourth book is not as enjoyable. So, okay. The fourth book follows up Memories of Ice, which is many people's favorite. And I understand why it's many people's favorite. I enjoyed it very much. I want to reread House of Chains more. That's That's book four. Because... I am curious just to see that that's that's one of the ones where I'm most certain I will read it differently mm, in okay. a in a pretty meaningful way this time around because memories of ice I'm I'm pretty sure I know where I stand on that and okay. all the important moments there. Okay, that's fair. I I am your Ashaman, even though House of Change is my least favorite book. I'm actually looking more forward to reading that than Memories of Ice, which. Mm-hmm. My first time through Memories of Ice was definitely my favorite book. And I still think it's fantastic. I love every book in the series. Nothing goes be- below uh, probably an 8 or a 9 out of 10 in the series for me. Okay. All right. See, now I'm like, is this just going to turn into me rereading the series over and over again <laughs> after I finish <laughs> I mean, hopefully. <laughs> but my track record for rereading books is terrible. Okay. It was also, the first for everything. This is your first type of fantasy, right? You well, could, you, or like, it's the first big one. There's no need to reread. Uh, it's still incredibly enjoyable the first time through. It's more enjoyable on a reread, but it's it's not required. <laughs> I have a terrible track record for finishing series. So... Ah. That's the problem. Like, I will start epic fantasy series, but then it's just the first book. Well, Good thing you have this Ash, podcast, then. Yeah, yeah. a little cattle prod. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Which is true. Like, I think I've said this before. If I had been left to my own devices reading this book, I would have put it down and not gone back to it for probably quite a while if it weren't Hmm. for this community and this reading group last time i read something that was really heavy it took a year (laughs) for me to actually finish the book that was iron gold by pierce brown wow i know how much you love those books Mm -hmm. but you're glad that you did finish this one right yes i am (laughs) yes the emotional depth of this book is worth it Mm. um worth the slower pacing like i did have some problems with this book the pacing of gardens i much preferred but the emotional depth just wasn't as deep as this one and the the payoff for this book i think is it does tip it a little bit above gardens in many respects Mm. what are you what story thread are you most excited about following next so like after, in, in Seven Cities. So like Apsilar, Crocus, Fiddler, Kalam, or Felicin, Haboric. I'm more curious about Fiddler, Haboric, Akari, and Mapo. Okay. My, the ones that I'm most excited to follow from here on out 
or the ones that seem most intriguing at this point in the story, not necessarily taking into account things I know from later on. I am interested in Absalar because she is my waifu. That's it. That's the word. <laughs> oh my god. You? <laughs> it's, it's recorded now, so... Yeah, it's recorded. It's on the internet. Um, I'm interested in Lazine, and I'm interested in Tavor. Let it not okay. be said that Erickson cannot write female characters well. Uh, yes, Lacine and Tavor are two that I am also interested in. I was just only thinking about the primary ones we were talking about. Um, mm. If anything, I think those two are the most interesting. I have a Lacine related question. Mm. Uh, which god are you most interested in at this point? What are all the ones available? Cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shadow Throne, Cotillion, uh, Jesters, what are their names? Uh, uh, upon. Upon Hood. There's some more that we don't really. There's some more. About much. But uh, those, are, those are the main ones. Mm, honestly, I just want more Animander. <laughs> so. There. I mean, he is, he is God tier in strength, so that makes sense. A little yeah. Of that answer. <laughs> ah, Fenner. I... We forgot Fenner. Oh, oh yes. Okay, how could we forget Fenner? Okay, Anamander and Fenner. Because mm-hmm. I want to know what is this god doing? We got so little, yet so many vague things. What is Fenner's plan for Haboric? If if Fenner even has a plan. Why is Fenner protecting Haboric? I think he will be interested in Memories of Ice. Oh, good. Were you guys a little sad by, uh, by Haboric's little introspection near the end where he was like really wishing he could go back to Fenner. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he got to a point where he just he just couldn't carry the burden by himself anymore and he needs the support of I guess a god. I think that's a it's also a story that speaks a lot to the human experience. Mm, mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, fine. The one I'm most interested in is Hood. <laughs> after after this book, I was so curious as to what Hood's deal was. Yes. I guess it's more of I hadn't really treated Hood as a character. I mm. treated Hood more as a backdrop. Or like a force. Yeah. An inevitability. Yeah. It's fair. Mm-hmm. Do you have any questions, the two of you? Sure. Should we go on to listen? I don't have any more now. Yeah, sure. listener questions. Uh, Lady Sweden said if you had to choose, who would you be and why? Mapo or Akarium, Absalar or Felicin, Fiddler or Kalam, Dweaker or Haboric. So, uh, Mapo or Akarium, which one? Ashwan? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, this is the question, isn't it? So, would I rather have Alzheimer's or be a friend to someone with Alzheimer's? Probably. Is it, probably is it Alzheimer's or amnesia? It's okay. It's it's amnesia, but like he can't really form new memories. It's okay. It's the memento thing, except for not as bad. I I guess you haven't seen memento. Okay, it's a Christopher no. Nolan movie. It's very it's very good. Uh, yeah, I I think I think I choose Akarium for a couple of reasons. I wouldn't be able to feel like I was betraying one of my friends for mm, several thousand years in a row. That would that would be really hard for me. <laughs> and also. Ikarium is really OP, and who doesn't want that for themselves? Brenda? I agree with the choice of Ikarium. I don't think I could take the burden that Mapo has. 
so yeah. truthfully. All right, and, next. Oh, oh sorry. sorry. With with Ikarium, it's like, yes, you have done a whole bunch of bad things. You don't remember doing those things. You know you did them. It's it's kind of this like a little bit of a sweet spot, if I can call it that, where you you kind of are responsible for yourself at that point because yes, you did all those bad things, but because you can't actually remember doing them, there's that distance and you have chose you can choose what to do about yourself. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Except Mapo is preventing. <laughs> <laughs> His choice. Oh, poor Malta. All right, next. Absalor or Felicin? Panda? Absalor. Absalor, <laughs> hands down. Me too, Absalor. I mean, yes. <laughs> it kind of speaks how bad Felicin has it when we're all just like, yeah, we're definitely going to take the girl that was mm-hmm. possessed and torture all these people. <laughs> yep. She does have sick assassin moves, though. Yeah. She does. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fiddler- she doesn't get possessed by a god at the end. <laughs> Fiddler or Kalam? I pick Fiddler. Uh, okay. The question here for me is, well, okay. I think I think everyone is more like Fiddler than Kalam, unless you're a, a super secret spy. If you're James Bond of the world, then okay, you can be Kalam. You're in the CIA. <laughs> you're some of the people in the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Fiddler is just a better person. I think. I don't know. I think I would choose Kalam because. Uh, <laughs> What does that say about you? <laughs> hey, I never claimed to be a good person. <laughs> I choose Fiddler because Fiddler has a sense of humor, whereas Kalam is just way too serious. Kalam is very dry. I think I, he I makes could, jokes sometimes, but it goes by most people's heads. I couldn't handle all the murder. But you'll be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Duiker or Heboric? I think this is the most difficult. <laughs> Would I rather be a broke historian or um, a historian in prison? They're both broken. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I don't like either of the options. <laughs> I don't like either of the options either, but I think I choose Hiboric. I think I choose Dewicker, honestly. Because, hmm. okay, well, first of all, I don't think I could go through what Hiboric Fellison and Bowden went through without, uh, I don't know. I think I think it would be easier for me to endure what Duiker had to endure, even though it was still, like, almost comically horrible. But, I don't know. At least Duiker had hands. <laughs> I mean, work has Hiborg better hands. Has better hands. <laughs> he has his better hands now. Um, That's true. Yeah. But I he's sh- also blind. But he can Ooh. see better than anyone. In some ways. He couldn't see his friend dead on a cross before him. Well, do you want to see that? I feel like I would rather know than not, right? I don't know. I guess, yes. I feel like there isn't a right answer to this. There, There right. is not a there right answer. Not. Of course. <laughs> There's not a right answer for any of them, except for the one with Absalar. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I would... I, I, I think I would pick Dweaker. Hmm. For the same reasons? Uh, I just don't want to be blind. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. Plus, I mean, Haborik's got a lot of power, and I don't want that responsibility. Okay, Haborik having that power is kind of why I'm choosing Haborik, more so <laughs> that there's a god that's protecting Haborik. 
I think with Haboric, yes, there is a lot of tragedy, but it's at a individual. It's like a at a smaller scale. Whereas with Dweaker, he is part of a huge tragedy. That's and true. I, I would fall to despair. I don't think I would be able to survive intact in any way after witnessing what happened at Arin, especially mm-hmm. after having lived through getting there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, she asked what stood out to the veterans in our read, but I think, I think we've talked about that. Or do you have anything else to add? Her question was, uh, what stood out to our veterans on this read? Did you change your view on something? Did you catch something you hadn't thought about before? <sighs> There's a lot of things that I caught, uh, but I have to talk about it in the spoilers episode. In the extra spoilers episode. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I hadn't, like, maybe really think things. Definitely my understanding of a lot of the characters uh, deepened. Mm, I agree with that. Especially a lot of the tertiary characters. I think I paid a lot more attention to the characters that were off screen. Like because, Hood. yeah, like Hood. Because Malazan is a series where a lot happens off screen. And it's uh, it's very important what happens off screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily get all the information <laughs> to figure out what's happening the first read through. Okay. Pearl, too, for me. Mm. Uh, last question. Are there any characters who you've really changed your opinion on from the beginning of the book to the end? Pinda? I mean, Felicin is kind of an easy one to say, like definitely became more empathetic throughout, but also Lacine. Mm, there's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just remembering back to our first episode where we were talking about, like we've already mentioned before, the calling of the nobility and my response to it. So bring it full circle. Lacine, I, I mean, I had an inkling that she's not just like all bad and there's got to be reasoning. So yes, her. She's definitely not a cartoon villain. And I think this book really makes you appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So now the question, though, this rebellion, how I felt about Lacine and the Empire at the beginning of this book is how I feel about this freaking Corbelo Dom and Camelus Rello. Rello, yeah. Yeah, I think it is uh, traitors are the ones who occupy the lowest circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. And there are a lot of traitors on the other side. Hmm. Malik Rowe, Corbel Adam, his entire army. Lazine too, but you don't really get to see that. It's just uh, mentioned in hindsight, really. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, there has to be motivation for why they became traitors. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily Malik, like, that's just low scum. But for the the leaders of the Malazan army to switch sides that there's motivation there that is i think worth exploring hmm. mm-hmm. you know you may be right there <laughs> but you'll have to read and find out <laughs> and you have to wait a whole book at least a whole book yeah oh fun okay all right so shall we call it i'm good Ash. yeah i think i've said pretty much all i have to well okay i have i have one last thought on this book i think no <laughs> no 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 more thoughts <laughs> so this book is 
for lack of a better word, traumatizing. And it's a good word. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's not pleasant to read, but I think it is probably the perfect setup for what comes next, both thematically and in terms of just raw plot. This makes you feel like something needs to be done about these tragedies, right? Like they just happened and no one was able to do anything to stop them or make them any better. And yeah, no, that at least for me creates a, first of all, a burning desire to see things made right, mm -hmm. whatever that means. And also like on a deep sense, it makes, it's very important for the world of Malazan that something like this bad happened and you'll see the effects of it throughout the entire series, basically. Okay. Like Erickson didn't do this gratuitously. He didn't do it for the shock value. It's a very necessary component in what he has envisioned for the series. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that. Fair. All right. We have a very special announcement to make. An upcoming episode is going to have a special guest. Uh, the author himself, Stephen Erickson, has graciously agreed to join us for a discussion about him and his books. That concludes this episode. If you want to join the read-along or join in on the discussion we're having, please check out the Legendarium's Discord. You can find the link on thelegendarium.com. Also follow us on Twitter at Green Team Pod. We welcome feedback. Let us know what you're enjoying or not enjoying about the discussions. Shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting the Legendarium podcast on Patreon. Thank you to our panelists, Ashman Yasna as a boy, but fellow panel, I'm here in fan. Until next time. Bye-bye. Pew-pew. Pew-pew. <laughs>